Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Crossover Across Time podcast for our Friday episode for week one of the, uh, the, the well, yeah, week one of the season. We're, we're just still very excited to be back. Uh, I'm excited to be back with you. Uh, I am, of course, your host, Karsten. Welcome to the show. Welcome back to the show. Uh, whether you've been listening previously or you're brand new to the podcast, either way, uh, we really appreciate your support. Uh, it means a lot to us. Um, we have a lot to cover today. Um, just me running solo today. Uh, no, no Wyatt or Justin, uh, which is totally fine. But we're going to go ahead and just jump right into it. Because again, a lot to cover. Big, uh, big slate of action, both Wednesday and Thursday. Of course, Wednesday, um, just about uh, what percent would that be? That'd be like 30% of the league. Um, not was the only ones that weren't playing. What percent would that be? No. Uh, anyways, it, it was like 80% of the league was playing on Wednesday night. I think that's the, the number I'm looking for. Um, but uh, regardless, let me see if I can get my windows all correct here. Yeah, we're going to focus on five main games, uh, three from Wednesday night's uh, big slate of action, and then the two uh, two games from yesterday, from Thursday. Um, of course, those are primetime matchups. Um I mean, a lot of primetime matchups, but there's a lot of stuff to cover here. Let's go ahead and start on Wednesday. Uh, We're going to start in Madison Square Garden, the New York Knicks hosting the Boston Celtics and the Celtics able to come out on top in a bit of a thriller at the end. Uh, Final score, 108 to 104. Uh, Celtics get the early victory. Uh, Knicks start the season with a home loss. Bit of a tough one, but they were competitive throughout. You know, you expect Boston. They're the better team. Um, New York is still a, com- a great team in their own right. They're going to be a top five team in the East, uh, you would think. And so um, a tough loss, but you got to give credit to to Boston and let's definitely give credit to Kristaps Porzingis, of course, a big free agent acquisition. A former Nick in his own right was drafted by the Knicks, a pick that, of course, at the time before he had had a chance to play, people uh, were very skeptical. There's the famous, you know, picture of the fan on draft night and he's he's crying he doesn't know who Kristaps Porzingis is and uh, lo and behold Porzingis came in and had a hot start but of course there's always been injury issues he's bounced around a little bit in recent seasons but now he's on the Celtics with a chance to compete in the east and he started off with the greatest scoring debut in Celtics history and you can consider the proud history of the Boston Celtics, um, definitely not at a shortage of great players and not at a shortage of great scorers. Um, his teammate, Jason Tatum, one of them in recent history, Paul Pierce, um, you know, Ray Allen as an acquisition, um, it kind of in his prime, he could have been in, you know, near that record you would think, or, or in contention for that, but he, yeah, set the, the Celtics record for points in a debut 30 points, uh, in this game, uh, along with eight rebounds and four blocks, five of nine from three-point range, <laughs> excuse me, doing uh, kind of really the main things they brought him in for. Of course, he'll stretch the floor, um, he'll finish inside, he'll grab boards, and he'll block shots. Um, and if he can do those things, and if he can hold things down defensively well enough inside, uh, looks like they're going to go a touch smaller of course Porzingis 7-3 not small at all but around him Tatum more of a power forward um they'll have Brown at small forward Holiday and White as the guards with Horford coming off the bench um they might mix that up you know some different looks during the season to figure out what's going to be the best fit for the postseason uh they have some more to work with but uh Tatum did lead the Celtics overall in scoring uh 34 points 11 rebounds four assists two steals a block Picking up right where he left off last season, the last couple of seasons, of course, has been an MVP type candidate. So great game for him. Outside of Tatum and Porzingis, um, Jalen Brown, only 11 points, a little bit of a letdown game, I suppose. Uh, Derek White with 12 points. Uh, you know, Brown's still contributing six boards, five assists. Derek White with two steals and a block. Drew Holiday with three blocks. Uh, so that defensive impact is going to be huge for the Celtics. Holiday and Porzingis, White. Um, you know, Horford, his defensive ability, 
that's I think, and then uh, Tatum, you know, he's improving and becoming a a real uh, two way type player. So I think defense more than maybe the talent is going to be what determines the Celtics' true uh, championship contention level. Uh, certainly their aspiration this season. But yeah, great win for them. Looking at the things for or, or the stats for the Knicks, uh, the the Nova Knicks, if you remember as the uh, Hispanic Heritage Night uniforms uh, from about 10 years ago, uh, Nueva York, uh, I was thinking about that. These are the Nova Knicks, sort of a similar name, might be a bit of a stretch, but regardless, um, you know, the the Wildcats on the roster uh, are are a big part of it. You know, Jalen Brunson, of course, a star point guard. Um, not a bad game, not as great as we've seen. 15 points, six assists, three steals. Um, and then the guards off the bench, Josh Hart and Dante DiVincenzo. DiVincenzo scoreless, Hart with only seven points. So uh, one of the nice little storylines going into the season, they didn't have as big of an impact in this game. Um, it was rather RJ Barrett and Emmanuel Quickly. Um, Barrett with 24 points, three boards, two assists, and then quickly off the bench with 24 points in 28 minutes. Uh, Wyatt looking great off early in the season for his his six man of the year pick. Um, yeah, six boards, four assists, a steal. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, 14 points, 11 rebounds, seven assists, and two steals for Julius Randle. Three of eight from three. Um, some big shots towards the end. Quentin Grimes with 11 points, three of six from three. Um, you know, it was a competitive game and there's maybe just some, some adjustments with, um, more than anything, just getting back into the flow of the season, even though both teams had, you know, similar preseason, um, run, um, and, and Boston maybe, a little more emphasis, you know, with some increased roster change compared to New York, New York adding DiVincenzo, but outside of that, not a lot of difference in the the rosters from previous, uh, the previous season, you know, Boston has a little more of an emphasis on the road as well to make sure they're tuning up and they're getting their rosters right. So, um, you know, tough loss again for New York. They have a chance to bounce back um, tonight. Uh, they're playing in, well, actually, it looks like they would have already played, and this is probably um, probably hasn't updated my hasn't updated based on where we're at. Uh, yeah, fun times. So I think they're playing right now. Yeah, they're playing Atlanta right now. So uh, they have a chance to to bounce back there. Uh, they're on the road, but still good win for Boston and a great start for Porzingis in Boston as well. Um, let's jump to the next game from Wednesday that we'll focus on, uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers in Brooklyn against the Nets, uh, Cavs come out on top in a thrilling finish, a game winner by Donovan Mitchell, a three pointer. What a way to start the season. 114 to 113, the final score for the Cavaliers in Brooklyn, uh, on the game, looking at the scores for the Cavs, it was Donovan Mitchell and Max Struess, of course, the new acquisition in free agency, uh, Mitchell, 27 points. Six assists, five boards, four steals, and a block, showing off that two-way play that I that I think would really elevate him from, um, you know, a locked-in all-star to then a, a locked-in MVP type candidate. Um, so great game for him. Struess, twenty-seven points, seven of thirteen from three, lights out shooting, along with twelve rebounds. Um, maybe a an X factor he can bring to the Cavs. I don't know if we saw a ton of that with Miami. Uh, a steal and a block for him as well. Isaac Okoro, 18 points, six boards, four assists, two steals, a block, getting a start at power forward with Evan Mobley moving to center. Uh, Jared Allen missing this game, dealing with an injury. Um, Darius Garland, 15 with five assists and two steals. Um, Mobley, 10 points, six boards, two blocks, and then 11 off the bench for Karis Levert. Uh, pretty well balanced, and again, great for you know some guys to pick up some additional, you know, rebounding or defensive duties with Jared Allen out of the game, you know, Struess with the boards, and then you have Okoro and Struess with some defense and Mitchell with the steals on the perimeter along with Garland. Um, you know, I think that's a great thing to see, you know, you're, when you're, you have a player out, your team is able to kind of compensate. Um, I think that bodes well for them. Looking at things for the Brooklyn Nets, uh, leading score for them was actually Cam Thomas off the bench. 
Um, and more and more, he becomes a player that I'm just so intrigued by. You know, what is the true ceiling? What type of player is he? Is he a, a all-star just waiting to happen? Is he more of a, a Lou Williams, J.R. Smith, six-man type that's just going to burst out with these wild scoring games? I mean, yeah, 36 off the bench, three boards, two assists, a steal. Um, 13 of 21 from the floor, 61%, two of five from three, including a wild fading three. Um, that had Nets play-by-play announcer Ian Eagle in disbelief. Um, yeah, he he really kept the Nets or helped keep the Nets in this one. Um, outside of his scoring, Mikael Bridges, 20 points, six boards, four assists, three steals uh, all around the stat sheet there. 12 points for Cameron Johnson. Um, ben Simmons with 10 boards, nine assists, and a block uh, and four points. Not a terrible game. Um 10 each for Dorian Finney-Smith and Dennis Smith Jr. off the bench as well. And again, Donovan Mitchell with the game winner. Key moment there, Cam Thomas. uh, The 36 points off the bench is actually a new NBA record in an opening game, uh, which I believe the previous record was held by Ricky Pierce. So, uh, yeah, fantastic company to be in if you just want to, at the very least, be a fantastic sixth man. and the Nets shouldn't be too disheartened. You know, you had a great bench performance and you had an off night from your stars and you were still close with a team that's projected to be much better than you in the East. Um, they, you know, Nets still should be high hopes going forward as far as what they can do this season with the players they have. Um, and then, yes, yeah, Struess, his seven three-pointers, that actually sets a Cavs franchise record for three-pointers made in a debut Fantastic start for for him. You know, I think that could be one of the more underrated acquisitions of the offseason period. Um, with that, with that <clears throat> if I can get my voice right here, let's go ahead and shift to uh, the third and final game from Wednesday night that we'll talk about. And that is the Dallas Mavericks in San Antonio against the Spurs. Uh, and a close one uh, again, a bit of a, you know, an upset to the surprisingly the bigger storyline even though he's a rookie and obviously Mavericks are projected to be much better than the Spurs but uh, a spoiler of Wembenyama's debut in San Antonio the Dallas Mavericks win the game 126 to 119 big games from Luka and um, the rookie Derek Lively in particular Uh, starting with Luka he posted a a triple double 30 point triple double and if I can find that stat, he is he is the third ever all time with an opening night 30 point triple double joining Giannis and Tenacupo, which I believe that one was in 2019. And uh, the big O Oscar Robertson, who actually did it twice in 61 and then later in 66. So elite company. We already know Lucas there and he just further solidifies that status. 33 points, 13 rebounds, 10 assists uh, with two steals. The not the greatest three point shooting night, but still got the job done. He was above 50% from the floor. Uh, 17 points and six boards for Grant Williams in his debut. Uh, 22 points for Kyrie with six assists and a steal. 17 off the bench for Tim Hardaway Jr. Uh, with six boards, four assists. And then Derek Lively, the second, the rookie, off the bench, uh, ended up with 30 minutes on the game, uh, came in and played well. I wouldn't be surprised if he emerges. Uh, if this kind of play continues and within the next few games earn some starting minutes and opportunities with the, Ma- the Mavericks, 16 points, 10 rebounds and assist a steal and a block seven of eight from the floor, 87 and a half percent. And that particular stat line puts him in unique, unique company uh, second in NBA history with 15 points, 10 rebounds on 85% or more shooting in their NBA debut debut. And that joins uh, Tom Hoover in 1963 with 17 rebounds. And I'll be honest with you. I've meant to look up Tom Hoover um, as a player who tries to, or, or a person rather who tries to be familiar with as many players as I can. I wasn't familiar with the name. Um, debuted with the New York Knicks in the early sixties. Um, his career stat line is not anything really to write home about. Uh, had a nice back half of a season in his last pro season with the uh, that's the New York Nets, I believe. Yeah, of the ABA 
40 games with the Nets. He averaged 11 points, 10 rebounds. Other than that, a pretty pedestrian career stat line. But yeah, if you go to his game log, his debut, 16.17 rebounds. And uh, that's kind of the outlier, I suppose. But yeah, that's that's a cool one. It's always cool to uh, learn about players you might not have been familiar with. Um, and for Derek Lively, again, I it seemed like a good pick, maybe a, a little bit of a, a small steal type of pick coming out of Duke. And that was actually, he, had, he hadn't scored 16 in any of his college games, surprisingly. So um, yeah, Josh Green, 11 points as well. Good all-round game for Dallas. Um, Derek Jones Jr. getting the start, only one point. That's kind of intriguing. And then Maxi Kleba starting at center, um, not the greatest game either. So they may be a retooling, figuring out what their starting lineup will look like in its entirety as well. Um, looking at things for the Spurs, of course, when Benyama, the big story there, 15 points in his NBA debut, his first basket was a three. Um, he also grabbed five boards, two assists, two steals, a block, stuffing the stat sheet, as you'd expect. Leading scorer for San Antonio, Devin Vassell, 23 points, five boards, three assists, and two steals. Um, 17 with nine boards, seven assists for Kelton Johnson. 15 points for, uh, no, sorry, 14 points for Zach Collins uh, with two steals or two blocks and a steal. 13 for Jeremy Sohan with eight boards, five assists. 16 off the bench for Trey Jones, 12 for Chetty Osman. Um, really balanced scoring all around. And yeah, San Antonio had a chance to win it, but uh, Dallas in the, the closing moments able to pull out the win. So congratulations to them. Jumping to Thursday, we're going to f- start off with uh, the first of the two games, which was <laughs> a matchup of two teams. They were the last two teams to play their opening game. The Milwaukee Bucks hosting the Philadelphia 76ers, the much anticipated regular season debut of Damian Lillard in Milwaukee and uh, certainly did not disappoint a thrilling game. Final score 118 to 117. The Bucks close it out with a, a very narrow win against a depleted and um, perplexing Philadelphia squad, of course, with the Harden situation, but um, some, some more history for you. Damian Lillard sets a Milwaukee Bucks record for points in a debut with 39 points. He also grabbed eight boards and had four assists. Um, The shooting wasn't even as, you know, lights out as it has been, as you'd expect, 45% from the floor, uh, four of 12 from three. He made 17 of 17 free throws, though, so that will definitely help you uh, make up that difference. Giannis with 23 points, 12 boards, three assists, two steals, two blocks, doing MVP-type things. And with that, actually, um, his importance to the Bucks with this game, some point during this game, uh, Giannis passed Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, to become the all-time leader for the Milwaukee Bucks in uh, career field goals for the Bucks, so that is uh, pretty awesome. He, him, and Kareem are going to be neck and neck as far as best player in Bucks history. Um, and then if Giannis just continues to play there and play at an MVP level, maybe he's definitively, definitively best the best Milwaukee Bucks simply because he played there much longer than Kareem. Um, you know, they both have a championship in Milwaukee, uh, of course. Giannis has a chance to contend for a second championship this season. So uh, things are very exciting in Milwaukee. It's an exciting time and a great win for them. Um, other contributors for the Bucks, um, Brooke Lopez, 13 points, two rebounds, uh, 10 points off the bench for Bobby Portis with six boards. Um, otherwise, a lot of the other guys, honestly, struggled a bit you know chris middleton we've had that injury question mark his return from injury rather 16 minutes for him uh six points four assists three boards two steals not a terrible game um especially with lesser minutes played but of course him being able to return to some semblance of that all-star player that he was will be a big factor in the bucks um competitive level i suppose especially in a playoff situation so definitely something to watch out for meanwhile for the sixers without james harden and we have actually some stuff we'll talk about with that as well in just a moment um but they did have a fantastic debut from k 
Kelly Oubre Jr. He, uh, off the bench, 32 minutes, had 27 points uh, to actually be second on the team in scoring behind Tyrese Maxey, 31 points, eight assists, four boards, and two steals. Um, and then third in scoring, Joel Embiid, your defending MVP, 24 points, seven boards, six assists, a block, um, pretty de- decent all-around game. Tobias Harris, 20 points, um, and then 10 points for DeAnthony Melton. Um, I think both teams may be hindered a bit by supporting cast level of scoring. Um, Philadelphia actually did a little bit better there compared to Milwaukee, but Milwaukee just had enough additional points spread around and they, they got those possessions towards the end. Lillard with a clutch three, a deep three, um, and then a block by Giannis on Maxi towards the end as well, uh, able to help get them the win. So great start for Milwaukee again, an exciting time for the bucks and then the last game that we'll focus on uh the last game from last night uh the los angeles lakers hosting the phoenix suns the first matchup in about five years between lebron and durant the time the last time in the last five years those two have been on the floor at the same time which is pretty wild to think about but uh LeBron triumphant in this one. He wins uh he and the Lakers win 100 to 95, your final score there. Um a side note, uh in this game, Durant, his scoring, he was able to pass Hakeem Olajuwon to move up to 12th all time in career scoring. And I suppose we can start with his game. Uh he definitely did not disappoint. 39 points, 11 rebounds, two assists, a steal, and a block, eight turnovers, a bit rough. Um, but overall still a solid game. No Booker or Beal in this game. So Eric Gordon, a little bit of increased workload starting alongside Grayson Allen. 15 for Eric Gordon, uh, 14 off the bench for Jordan Goodwin, and then 10 points for Josh Okogi. So Durant um, and Nurkic, Nurkic with nine boards, three assists, and three steals. Those two kind of trying to to do what they could against the Lakers and credit to them. It was a close, closer game than maybe you'd expect without Beal or Booker, but uh, Lakers getting the job done as you would also kind of expect Anthony Davis with 30 points, 12 boards, two assists, three steals, three blocks all round game. And that's the kind of game that if he can put together those stat lines more often than not, you know, he could be a dark horse MVP type candidate. I would love to personally see that kind of return from him, even though, again, I'm not really much of a Lakers fan. Um, LeBron, 21 points, nine assists, eight boards, two steals, two blocks, um, playing 35 minutes. Uh, So the whole minutes restriction idea kind of going out the window there, but when he's playing that well and you kind of forget sometimes, or you you choose to forget the age and the the slight injury concerns in recent seasons. So, um, you'll take it, you know, D'Angelo Russell, 14 points, uh, five assists, four boards, two steals, a block, and then 10 points from Austin Reeves as well. So LeBron and AD really carrying things. Christian Wood with 10 rebounds off the bench as well. And the Lakers get the win in that one. And that is it for the main games we'll focus on. I'll real quick kind of jump through the remaining games we didn't have a chance to talk about. Uh, The Orlando Magic won big at home against the Houston Rockets by 30 points, 116 to 86 on Wednesday. Uh, Cole Anthony with 20 points. Uh, They were wearing the throwbacks. Uh, Nice game for them. Uh, The Indiana Pacers' big win at home against the Washington Wizards, 143 to 120. That was also Wednesday. Kuzma with a big scoring night or good scoring night, 25 points. Halliburton, meanwhile, 20 points, 11, 20 points, 11 assists. And also Bruce Brown totaled 24 points on, I believe, six of eight from three point range. Let me go ahead and make sure. Yeah, six of eight from three. So stellar debut for him with the um, the Indiana Pacers. The Charlotte Hornets won at home against the Atlanta Hawks, 116 to 110. Terry Rozier with 24 points. Trey Young with 23. Um, Mark Williams, good game. We'll talk about him a little bit later as well. Toronto Raptors won at home against the Minnesota Timberwolves, 97 to 94. Anthony Edwards, a little bit, maybe the best game of anyone playing in this one, 26 points and 14 boards. But Schroeder, the new point guard, 22 points and seven assists, able to lead the team to the victory. Um, Miami Heat win at home in a close one against the Detroit Pistons, 103 to 102. Jimmy Butler with 19 points, 13 rebounds. Meanwhile, Cade Cunningham, his return to action, 30 points and nine assists. I would love to see him emerge and really have the sophomore season 
or, you know, the third year, the junior season that we expected him to have in a sophomore year before the injuries wiped out of the season. Um, so that would be exciting to see. New Orleans Pelicans won on the road in Memphis against the Grizzlies, 111 to 104. Desmond Bain, 31, 5 and 5 for the Grizzlies. CJ McCollum with 24, 4 and 6 for the Pelicans, uh, six assists, four boards, with Zion having 23 points in his return to action and a couple of uh, stellar dunks. So great job there. Uh, Oklahoma City Thunder won on the road in Chicago against the Bulls, 124 to 104. Shea, uh, Shea Gilgis Alexander, 31 points and 10 assists. Uh, DeMar DeRozan, 20 points, five boards, two assists. Sacramento Kings, uh, tough one for me. They beat the Utah Jazz in Salt Lake City, 130 to 114. Harrison Barnes went off 33 points, four boards, two assists. Clarkson with 24 points for the Jazz, along with four boards and six assists. And then finally, the Los Angeles Clippers won at home against the Portland Trailblazers, 123 to 111. Uh, Paul George, 27, three and six. Uh, Kawhi Leonard actually played in this game as well, and he uh, had a solid game from what I saw, 23 points, six assists, five boards, a steal, and a block. Uh, Malcolm Brogdon, his first game for the Trailblazers, 20 points, two boards, and five assists. And uh, that covers pretty much all the remaining action that we hadn't talked about. So that's your your game summaries up to this point. Uh, real quick, since, since I didn't do it for our game summaries, this drop is usually for the summaries and the news. Let's go ahead and use this uh, audio drop for our key news segment. Here we go. And again, we're still getting used to the whole audio drop thing during the podcast. So apologies if we don't always do it or if we forget to do it and then sort of half do it later. Um, but we only have a few news items. Firstly, for the Indiana Pacers, head coach Rick Carlisle and the Pacers have agreed to a contract extension. So he's going to remain there and he's going to for sure be the guy to try and help them take that next step from the rebuild of the last season or two to then being more of a contending or, or a playoff mixed team or a play in mixed team at the very least. Um, you know, you'd think within the next season or two, if they're not back into at the very least a play in picture, maybe have a conversation about, um, you know, maybe we shouldn't have done the extension. Who knows? Uh, Carlisle, of course, a great coach, a championship coach. Uh, I don't think that's a bad decision at all. I think he's, uh, I think he's a great guy for them to make that next step with. Uh, hopefully for the Chicago Bulls, uh, A.U. DeSomo was named the NBA Cares Bob Lanier Community Assist Award winner for his offseason uh, impact in Chicago community. He's from Chicago, uh, working with youth in the city. So congratulations to him. Well deserved um, and and great job for his involvement uh, in his community. That's awesome to see. That's a big part of, I, I think, what really you love to see with the the nba guys i think is if they can be involved in the community along with being a star type player that's that's great stuff uh for the san antonio spurs um mentioning victor wenbanyama um his debut actually helped boost espn's ratings for their opening night doubleheader uh it was 80 percent increase in ratings compared to last season's opening night doubleheader um so nearly double so the Wemby effect is real and you're going to see that probably all season long, especially if he takes off and starts having a stellar rookie campaign. He's just, uh, he's just too exciting to not want to watch uh, for the Philadelphia 76ers. We mentioned the James Harden situation. Um, of course, before last night's game, the team told him to, to stay home essentially to not travel with the team. There's now reports that, um, as the team was trying to board their flight, uh, the team security barred him from boarding the flight, um, which is even more alarming. And now the NBA is launching an investigation into uh, the Sixers potential violation of that new player participation policy that we've talked about uh, for the season uh, with regards to James Harden. And so now is the team going to be penalized because of their decision to not play Harden who 
Harden doesn't seem to want to be in Philadelphia anyways. Well, we know for sure he doesn't want to be in Philadelphia. Um, the situation gets even more complicated. And so this is just going to be, you know, until something happens, he, either he comes back and, and plays through it with the Sixers or there's a trade or some sort of third option. Um, this is going to be a continuing storyline. So definitely be prepared for that. Um, sad news for the Cleveland Cavaliers organization uh, and the NBA family as a whole. Former Cavaliers standout wing uh, Bobby Bingo Smith uh, passed away yesterday at the age of 77. Um, although he was never an all-star, he was certainly in that conversation uh, multiple times in his career, was part of that uh, miracle at the Coliseum or Miracle Richfield team of the late 70s. Um, a, a great scoring wing and a, a great all-around player and so definitely a sad loss um yesterday there and then finally an update for the portland trailblazers uh guard anthony simons this is a pretty tough one out four to six weeks with a torn ligament in his right thumb uh from wednesday's opener against the la clippers um that's tough you know i mean that's uh, a month and a half or so um hopefully he's back sooner rather than later and this he's able to recover quickly from this injury definitely wishing him the best at this time. Um, and that takes care of our key news for today's episode. With that, let's go ahead and jump into this season's first installment of one of my favorite segments. Um, last season we did it on Thursdays. Um, but this year, now that we're or this season, now that we're doing it on Fridays, we have a little bit more alliteration, which is always nice. Let's go ahead and jump into our franchise focus segment. Franchise focus. All right. Thanks again to Microsoft Mike for lending his talents uh, on the mic there. Mike on the mic. Today, our very first uh, franchise focus of the season, we're going to do it slightly different from last season. Um, last season, if you remember, we did it alphabetically by um, team moniker or mascot starting with the Sixers then the Bucks the Bulls and so on uh, all the way to the Wizards this season we're going to do it alphabetically by team location so we're going to be starting with the Atlanta Hawks this time around uh same thing we'll end with the Wizards um kind of just a excuse me a wrinkle of you know coincidence there I suppose but I think it'll be nice to kind of switch it up. I think we'll go uh, by team name one year and then by location name the next and go back and forth uh, to change the flow a little bit. So it's not always, oh, it's December. We're talking about this team around this time of year or something to that effect, you know, keeps it a little more fresh in my mind. And so, yeah, we're talking about the Atlanta Hawks today on our franchise focus. And of course, if you're not familiar with the segment, essentially the focus of franchise focus is we have dedicated time at least once a week uh, or, or one one episode in one week of the season where we can talk extensively about each franchise in the NBA, not only the current team, but some historic aspects of the team, a great team, uh, a great season in that franchise's history, as well as a great player from that franchise's history. So for me, the history guy, it's really uh, one of my favorite segments, as I said, but uh, we'll start, of course, with the current team, and um, I don't think there's much different to talk about compared to what we talked about last year um, with the Atlanta Hawks. Um, trying to remember if our conversation last season was before or after the trade deadline where they had made the move for Sadiq Bay. Um, regardless, let me go ahead and pull up their roster here. And um, the Trey Young, DeJounte Murray thing, it it's the same thing as last year. That's really going to be the driving force for this team being in the playoffs. The question then is what's the plan to build around that? You know, they've had Deandre Hunter for a while um, with the John Collins trade that does change the equation for the Atlanta Hawks this season. Um, we've seen uh, in the opener against the Hornets, it looked like they maybe started Jalen Johnson. Um, they have Clint Capella, the veteran center. And then of course, uh, third or fourth year man Onyeko Kungu, who's emerged as a guy who could probably start and play pretty well. Uh, they have the second year guard, AJ Griffin. They have a veteran point guard and Patty Mills. Um, 
a six-man type in Bogdan Bogdanovich. Um, of course, Sadiq Bey in that mix as well. Looks like he'll probably start um, either at small forward or power forward. Um, he might have started rather than Jalen Johnson. Their rookie, Kobe Bufkin, uh, also with Muhammad Gay. Uh, those two guys, um, more going to be spot minute guys, um, and they weren't terribly high picks in the draft. Maybe they emerge, you know, and that's that could be a uh, a very nice surprise for Atlanta because otherwise they seem like a team that is not quite like Chicago, but similar to Chicago where the last few years they're a team with stars, Trey Young, DeJounte Murray, definitive stars and all-star type players in this league, but they don't have as many pieces to quite be a serious playoff contending team. I mean, the last few years they've been stuck in more of a play-in picture. Now, with this being the first full season of uh, head coach Quinn Snyder being the guy at the helm, that could be different. Um, That will be to be determined, I suppose. But, you know, I think if you're a Hawks fan, you, you feel you feel pretty all right with where your team's at. You know, there's a little bit of concerns with stagnation, but at the same time, Trey young is still quite young. I mean, he's probably mid twenties still at this point, DeJounte Murray, similar, similar thing. Their fit is a little bit confusing at times for me, but worst case scenario, maybe you find a team that wants to bring in a guy like DeJounte Murray, um, who would be giving up a player or a package that would help you, refresh and retool into a team that can start taking greater steps forward Um, or Murray and young end up working out better than I kind of expect them to, you know, I think the the separate play styles definitely can be an advantage. Of course, Murray defense, athleticism, uh, inside ability, young can finish inside very well himself, but also a great outside shooter um, and a playmaker, and Murray a playmaker too, but um, some differing play styles and, and aesthetics there. You know, DeAndre Hunter, maybe you wonder if there's a, a guy who could come in, a younger guy who could um, have a little more room for growth. Hunter's been a very serviceable starting forward, um, and there's no issue with him there, but that's maybe the issue as far as complacency and, well, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, but... I don't know. I I don't want to be against DeAndre Hunter because again, he's a very solid player, and I I have no problem with him there. Uh, I don't. It's just where do you kind of build again when you're in that play in mix? You're not getting the 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 most top tier draft picks. You're not, um, but you're not fully competitive in a playoff situation where you're in the first round, second round, um, and you feel better about okay you know, it's not as big of a leap to, to build towards true contention as it is from, you know, barely slipping into the play in. So that's really the overall concern. But then, you know, again, if you can find a late round hit, then you can help accelerate your situation. You can kind of salvage something. And then there's also um, the, the potential to swing a trade for a guy on another team who's younger, who hasn't had an opportunity. Um, maybe you have a piece that fits a roster need for a team that's more uh, higher playoff caliber, who doesn't have the time for a, a rookie, sophomore, third-year guy to to get that opportunity. You swing that move, you give a guy an opportunity, he emerges, and then you've elevated your situation. So just some thoughts, again, with Quinn Snyder there, his first full season, I think – um, if we look back at this at the midway point, we evaluate the Hawks season midway through the season, then we'll have a better idea of, okay, has Quinn Snyder made the difference a full season of Sadiq Bay as well? What does the team look like? And then you can start to evaluate it a little bit more there, but again, not a bad situation, just questions about how you build long-term. Um, now on the conversation of a great team from their franchise history, before we talk about the team in particular, I wanted to talk about how underrated um, the Hawks are as a franchise as a whole, just in terms of their consistency and their competitive level, you know, because the Hawks had some years 
Um, of course, when Trey Young was first drafted, they were a, a, a team that struggled. And then in, um, you know, the, the early 2000s, the the mid nineties moments, late nineties, you know, they've, they've had recent seasons where they've struggled and fan interest has been mixed. You know, the Hawks sometimes in the recent fans eyes don't get a reputation as a great franchise. Um, but they certainly are. Of course they have a storied history. They have a championship history um, in St. Louis, but still a part of their history. They have all time great players. And if you look at their all all time seasons, um, more than half of their seasons, they win at least half of their games, which I think is uh, a phenomenal, you know, that you can have that kind of streak and in all but how many is that maybe 15 or 18 seasons, all but though that many seasons, they win at least 40% of their games, which is still, you know, in a, a competitive mix. So um, I think that's something to be admired. You know, they've had um, numerous seasons where they've won at least 60% of their games. But the team we'll talk about today is their greatest team in terms of win-loss percentage in their franchise history. And it's actually the 2014 to 2015 Atlanta Hawks, which went 60 and 22 with a win percentage of 73.2%. They were first in the East. They went to the conference finals against the Cavaliers. They were swept in the conference finals, kind of an unceremonious end, but this team was just so special and fun to watch. I remember, um, of course it wasn't that long ago, but I just remember how, how fun the atmosphere was around the team and their style of play. And it really was one of those teams where people like to say, Oh, they emphasize team basketball, but they really did. I mean, they had, Excuse me. They had four of their five starters make the all-star team. Um, even a guy like Kyle Korver, who statistically wasn't that phenomenal, you know, 12 points, four boards, two and a half assists, good percentages. I mean, 49% from three is stellar. So, but you wonder, well, how is that an all-star? But he would break games sometimes. I mean, his three-point ability just couldn't be stopped. And then the Hawks were such a cohesive unit around him. Uh, Paul Millsap, the leading scorer and kind of really the best player, uh, nearly 17 points, eight boards, three assists, two steals, a block. I mean, just two way impact to a, a, a great degree. Jeff Teague, um, emergent all-star type point guard, Al Horford doing what he's always done. His all around impact as well. Just just basketball players, you know, just playing every aspect of the game. Their depth was great too. Of course, this is where we first saw the emergence of Dennis Schroeder as kind of their sixth man, Kent Bazemore and Cephalosha, Perowantich, Mike Scott, uh, the three, three general manager, which is one of the best nicknames uh, you can see on basketball reference. Elton Brand was on this team. And so they were, they had great depth. They had, you know, players who did a little bit of everything. They accumulated such a fantastic regular season record. Um, and it included a undefeated month of January, which again, I remember that the conversation around that it was, it was just so exciting to see what they're doing again, especially as a team that wasn't really, built around all-stars. I mean, that undefeated January, you look at that streak, it was actually December 27th to January 31st, and they ran off, how many straight wins was that? Um, 19 straight wins. I mean, this team just had something going, and they beat good teams in that stretch. They beat Cleveland. They beat uh, the Clippers, of course, who were a top team at that time, and Portland and Memphis. Um, they beat Boston, who was still competitive. Chicago, especially, was still great that year. Um, the Thunder, they beat them. They beat um, Indiana. You know, they beat stellar teams. It wasn't like their their biggest wins and their win streaks came against bad teams. They were they were legitimately a top team in the league. And so I just love 
uh, reminiscing on this team. And again, I think it's a great starting point because it was a little more recent history. Um, you know, a few of these guys still in the league, Horford, Schroeder, um, I think there's, yeah, Muscala is still in the league. He was kind of just barely getting his start at this point. Corver, of course, now in the the Hawks front office, um, but just a fun team. Corver as an all-star and what he did night to night, you know, that was maybe the biggest draw for the Atlanta crowd was watching Kyle Corver shoot threes. You know, there's a great stretch that you'll see on a, you know, million different compilation videos on YouTube where he, he made, I think four threes in the span of about a minute against the bucks and the crowd just is losing it. And uh, I was just fun to watch, you know, so great team underrated again, they, they get swept against the Cavs and then you kind of just forget about them. They came back the next season with the awful Volt green uniforms, but that was just such a fun season. Um, you know, if you want to enjoy some some great team basketball, go back and watch some highlights from this season. Uh, phenomenal team. Great stuff. And then as far as our franchise uh, standout player, I wanted to talk about Lou Hudson. Sweet Lou, Super Lou. Uh, a, a wing, more often a shooting guard, sometimes moved to small forward depending on um, a certain highly touted rookie coming in. We'll talk about that in just a second. Um, but a six, five shooting guard uh, out of Minnesota, actually, even though he was uh, born and raised in North Carolina, he went to college at the university of Minnesota, golden golfer uh, drafted first, uh, first round fourth overall pick by the St. Louis Hawks in 1966. And he played uh 13 seasons, his last two seasons in Los Angeles with the Lakers. Uh, Hall of Famer, of course, six-time All-Star, 1970 All-NBA team, and 1967 All-Rookie team. Um, and you look at his jersey, like on basketball reference, they have, of course, the teams they played for, their jersey numbers, and the uh, was a really basic depiction of what the jerseys looked like. He has four different jerseys from the Hawks. Of course, the Hawks have a very interesting history. Their their branding, you know, the starting and much of their early history and their championship history with the the red and blue, uh, red and navy, light blue and red, um, St. Louis, and then the first couple of years in the move to Atlanta, and then with the Pete Maravich years, uh, they've switched to this blue and green with like the the ABA style striping. And then they went to the red and, and gold or red and yellow that you're maybe more used to with Atlanta, especially the last few years that they've gone back to it. Um, and then, of course, with the Lakers in the very late 70s. Um, but his all-star years, he was an all-star six straight years from 1969, the 1969 season to the 1974 season. In those seasons, his averages were 25 points a game five and a half rebounds, three and a half assists. Um, and then that final year, the first year they tracked steals, he averaged two and a half steals. Um, you wonder maybe how underrated he is as a defender. What kind of steals was he putting up in those other all-star seasons? You know, he was averaging 27 points a game in 1973, just a, a great score. And it was efficient scoring too. He, for his career, averaged about 49%. He shot above 50% in uh, three of his uh, six all-star seasons in Atlanta. Um, and bear in mind, a good chunk of these seasons, especially in uh, the 71 and, and 72, 73 seasons, with Pete Maravich arriving, they shifted Hudson to small forward to kind of, um, you know, they... Maravich was the the franchise's big uh focus. I mean, he was given a huge rookie contract. He was the big he was going to be the big draw for the fans in the area and he was even though they had a a great team before that. Um they were a team that was consistently they were in the Western Conference in that time when they're in St. Louis especially, but um they, they were a team in 
conference finals, conference semifinals, but they just still couldn't draw fans. And so they make the the Maravich move to draw fans, to increase revenue. They have the new uniforms and Hudson. It's like, Oh yeah, you just played small forward. Like he's an afterthought by the organization a little bit. And he still goes out and is an electric scorer uh, outplaying Maravich in his early seasons. As much as I love pistol Pete, it took him a little bit to figure it out. And there was some inconsistencies. And so, um, yeah, just a, a great player, forgotten player. Of course, he plays with the Lakers his final few seasons as the Lakers are trying to to get back to championship contention. This is the Lakers a few years into having Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Um, what was their record? 47 and 35 in 79. And then the previous year, yeah, 45-37. They, they were a, a, a good team with... Of course, Jabbar, they had Adrian Dantley, Nixon, but they they were just a year or two away from having Magic Johnson, which, of course, they won the championship in Magic's rookie year. Yeah, if Lou Hudson had played one more year, he likely would have been a champion um, in a reserve role at that point, but um, he just gets forgotten. One of the, the countless players in NBA history who played at a time where um, – you know, there's not as much. Uh, I mean, there's more in the '70s, but still not as much footage. He didn't have the the flashiest name or the flashiest style of play. He was just great. That's all he was. I mean, he was just a great player. Um, and I def definitely recommend looking up him and and learning more about him. Career high in a game, he had 57 points in a game. Um, his top 20 scoring games. That's another one to look at. 57 was his career high. He had countless games of 40 plus, 49, 48, 45. Um, just a phenomenal scorer. And in those games, he was shooting 60%, 70%, just lights out. Um, yeah, great player. And uh, I think that's a, a fantastic player to end on for this season's very first franchise focus. So thank you uh, for that, for the Hawks, for, for Lou Hudson. And uh that wraps that up. Let's go ahead and now shift to our next segment for our Friday show, our Fantasy Fridays. Okay, thanks again, Junko Yagami, for uh, that track. Uh, again, hopefully I'm pronouncing that correctly. Uh, Yagami and Masayoshi Takanaka, the two that have done uh, pretty much all of the the intro outro music and our audio drops. Uh, this is going to be a pretty short one just because um, there's not as much to go on, you know, player performances and such. But uh, looking at my screen right now, and actually this is a, a bit of a, a teaser for the games that we'll summarize, of course, on our next show. But Donovan Mitchell looks like he's having a stellar game, 40 points tonight. That's exciting. Um, he's on my team. My team, uh, I'll be honest, I still need to get into a better routine of updating lineups. Um, I'm not suffering too much early on because yesterday I didn't have any players that played, so it didn't matter today. I missed one utility player that wasn't playing that I could have subbed in somebody else for. Um, so a little bit of a mistake on my part there looking at our league looks like things are a little more evened out at the beginning. We had one team that had like 200 more points than uh, the other teams for, for some, you know, just kind of luck of the draw there, but, um, and he's actually still leading it. It looks like, but uh team's fairly close. Looks like my team's right about middle of the pack. Again, Nicola at night, I have Nicola Jokic um, looking at players. Let's see if we can find some, some stats to talk about with players. Um, yeah, I'm sure this is great to listen to right now. Of course, your top guys. I mean, that's those are givens. Any guy that's your MVP type candidate, your Jokic, your Tatum, your Honest are, are going to be great. I think when it comes to at least our early thoughts on the fantasy thing, it comes to those mid-level guys, those all-star reserves, those all-star conversation guys that's where year to year there can be a little more volatility and that's where uh, you have more, more questions, I suppose, as far as, well, should I take this guy at this point, you know, and at this point, I suppose 
the people that are doing fantasy have probably already drafted. So um, the question is like, should I make moves? Where do I make moves? And to be honest, my first answer is, well, um, I'm not a great fantasy expert and none of us are. So we're not going to claim that this is perfect knowledge, but we're taking a stab at um, every Friday. We'll post some, some movers, someone who's on the rise, someone who's falling and a, a player who maybe uh, isn't getting talked about a lot that we think maybe could be moving up. And again, this will be, be on our social media. I'll plug that real quick. Crossover across time on Instagram and Facebook on Twitter. It's actually X over across time, just because of the character restraint on the username um, on all three of those. You also have a link tree that will link to all the other social medias, as well as where you can find the podcast, of course, that you're already listening to, but um, we're on Spotify, Google podcasts, uh, Apple podcasts, rss.com. So definitely check out all those, those links. If you can, really helps support us um, on those. We'll post these movers. Uh, a riser is Tyrese Maxey. Of course, a great debut, 30 points, um, about 11 plus points hit compared to last season's average. Um, this is a one game sample for all three of these players. So take this with a grain of salt, but you know, great start. And again, if Harden's going to be out, then he has even more of a chance to be a increased workload and a bigger contributor. So could be a good one. Uh, a follower to Jante Murray just struggled against the Hornets. Uh, I definitely with this one, you know, don't even, don't even take this one, honestly. I mean, one game against the Hornets and they lose and he struggles. Um, if it happens for the next few games, maybe we, we revisit it in uh, a much more serious manner. Um, right now, you know, just a, a tough game. Just keep a small eye on him, I suppose. And then a sleeper. This is one I picked just kind of looking at the recaps for the games. Mark Williams, a guy that I like uh, when I saw him come out in the draft out of Duke, big center, strong, long, tall. Um, now the chance to be the full-time starter at center for the Hornets, um, grabbed a bunch of boards, played a lot of minutes, high field goal percentage. Um, could be a great pick, probably more if I guess you have a league with a lot more teams. And so he would be more of a chance to, you know, in that tier of player. I mean, the league we're in right now is eight players. Um, and I felt like where we were drafting in the last couple of rounds was maybe just a notch above where Mark Williams is right now, but definitely keep an eye on him. You know, I think he could be someone with boards and efficiency in, in the minutes he plays. And if he gets a chance to be a pick and roll type threat, you know, he could be a, a very solid contributor. So that's a real brief take. And again, it was, you know, we're just a few games in, so we're not going to have as much to talk about with that, but that will again be a fantasy Friday. It'll be every Friday segment as well. So just be on the lookout for that. Um, we don't really have any predictions to check in on at this point. Our predictions were made just a couple of days ago um, and they're, you know, for the whole season outlook. So let's just jump to our weekend forecast before we wrap things up. Uh, all of the times that I will give these games are in Eastern Standard Time. So just keep that in mind as you are planning your schedule uh, as we read off these games. Let me real quick make sure I have them all pulled up for you. Okay, here we go. So Saturday, we have one national broadcast that's on NBA TV at 7 o'clock. Uh, the New York Knicks in New Orleans to face off against the Pelicans. Um that one should be should be pretty exciting. You know, Randall against his former team and uh, Zion against a team that at the time the Knicks were the Knicks faithful were pretty devastated. They couldn't get Zion. Now Zion with the injury troubles and the Knicks have been on the rise. You know, they they feel like, oh, OK, maybe we didn't do as bad. But of course, Zion's still an all star type caliber player when he's healthy. Uh, should be an interesting game. Other games on Saturday, we've got. Grizzlies at Wizards, uh, Bulls at Pistons, Sixers at Raptors, Pacers at Cavs for your uh, Central Division matchup, and then Heat at Timberwolves. Um, and then later, two two hours later than any of the other games, the Utah Jazz in Phoenix against the Suns. Um, and that one is local access. All the other games other than the NBA TV game that we've talked about are League Pass. This one is a local access. So uh, your Jazz uh, TV network, jazz plus, uh, K jazz or, uh, the Suns. I think they did a similar thing as well. So, um, yeah, it, 
just a quick moment. Of course, me as a jazz fan, I want to hone on the hone in on this, but the jazz have quite the auspicious start to the season. Um, starting with who do they play tonight? Um, Clippers. So Pacific run, they started against the Kings, the Clippers tonight, and then they're playing the Suns, And then I think they play the Lakers in a day or two as well. So tough run to start the season uh, in, in a lot of ways, but uh Anyways, that's your Saturday. On Sunday, we have one national broadcast as well, NBA TV at 9 o'clock. The San Antonio Spurs in Los Angeles against the Clippers. Of course, that one's a big one to watch for because of Wenbenyama, but also Paul George and Kawhi um, healthy again. Always an exciting team to watch when they're healthy. Um, Also on Sunday, Nuggets at Thunder. Um, The Atlanta Hawks in Milwaukee against the Bucks the Golden State Warriors in Houston against the Rockets, the Portland Trailblazers in Philadelphia against the 76ers. And then uh, this one would be a good one. Uh, The Los Angeles Lakers in Sacramento against the Kings. Uh, That one's on League Pass, as are the others. Definitely one worth checking out if you have League Pass. That one should be a great game. On Monday, we have, yeah, took a second to load, two national broadcasts, both on NBA TV, so a doubleheader. At 8 o'clock, the Golden State Warriors in New Orleans against the Pelicans. So uh, Pelicans again, but this time the Warriors with Steph Curry in town. uh, Always exciting when he plays. And then at 10.30, the Orlando Magic in Los Angeles against the Lakers. Um, Lakers, of course, you expect them to be the better team, but Paolo Bancaro in his sophomore season, um, a bit of a forgotten player going into the season with all the other storylines. Uh, would like to see him have a nice game against the Lakers, even though I don't necessarily have a preference either way as to who wins that game. Other games on Monday, um, the Boston Celtics in Washington against the Wizards. Porzingis facing off against his former team. Uh, Chicago the Bulls in Indiana against the Pacers, another Central Division match. The Brooklyn Nets in Charlotte against the Hornets. Uh, Trailblazers in Toronto against the Raptors. The Timberwolves in Atlanta against the Hawks. The Pistons in Oklahoma City against the Thunder. The Warriors, uh, let's see, we said that one, sorry. Uh, the Miami Heat in Milwaukee against the Bucks. Of course, Lillard against the team that he reportedly had the preference to go to um, and the team that wasn't able to make that trade happen. The Dallas Mavericks in Memphis against the Grizzlies. And then, oh, the Utah Jazz in Denver against the Nuggets. So even tougher. That one is also local access. Um, the Nuggets and Jazz uh, TV networks, those other games on League Pass as well. So that is your Monday slate. And then actually, we didn't have a chance to mention it in the opener, but uh, we won't be doing next episode on Monday. We'll be doing it on Tuesday simply because I will be out of town on Monday. And so I won't be able to do it then. We'll do it on Tuesday. It'll be the same content. It'll be a, a Halloween episode, I suppose. Don't know what we'll do for that. But regardless, we covered Tuesday's games real quick as well. Three games, two of them are national broadcasts, uh, a TNT doubleheader, firstly at 7.30, the New York Knicks in Cleveland against Cavaliers, a rematch of last year's playoff matchup. And then at 10 o'clock, uh, the San Antonio Spurs in Phoenix against the Suns. Durant versus Wen Benyama, uh should be interesting. And should be also interesting to see if Booker and or Beal are back uh, if they miss extended time early for the Suns, that could be a inauspicious way to start the season. Uh, the last game, league pass at 1030, uh, the Orlando Magic in L.A. against the Clippers. So that is our weekly forecast for the rest of the week. Real quick, I'll give you our this day in history fact before we wrap things up. Uh, we're going back to 1984 for this one, October 27th of 1984. Hakeem Olajuwon, then known as Akeem made his debut for the Houston Rockets uh, in Dallas against the Mavericks. The Rockets won that game 122 to 111. Additionally, Elijah Wan's future teammate on the Rockets 1994 championship team, Otis Thorpe, uh, also made his debut on that day for the Kansas City Kings. The Kings lost that game 140 to 119 to the Portland Trailblazers. So uh, a cool one. That that pairing, you know, of course, they traded Thorpe to get uh, Clyde Drexler I believe that was the move. Um, Thorpe, they got gave up Thorpe and then Drexler was brought in. I can't remember if those were the same transaction so that they could repeat. But Otis Thorpe was a key part of that first championship team for sure. So that is it for our show. Uh, again, I want to thank you all for listening. Uh, and again, a reminder, we'll be back on Tuesday rather than Monday 
for our um second find my window here we're back back on tuesday rather than monday for our next episode of the podcast we'll name our first week mvp um we'll do power rankings all that good stuff so definitely tune in for that uh thank you again for listening and we'll be back with you on tuesday